We, uh, we love being a family to one another and greeting each other and taking the time to say hello and all of that. Before we get into the message this morning, a couple things. First of all, I take one Sunday off and I come back in the new year and some of you are sitting in different spots than you were last year. You're messing me up. I was so used to certain ones of you. Um, so a couple of things. Now you're all like, what? Um, so coming up, uh, Jul- uh, J- July, wow. You can tell I've been off. January the 11th, uh, our young families are going to be getting together at Tumbleweed Park in Chandler. And this is a great opportunity for our young families with kids to get to know each other and, again, encourage each other. So we invite you to get that information and uh, to be a part of that. Also, the men of our church, we're having a fellowship uh, on Sunday, January the 18th, after our morning service, a great barbecue over in the cafeteria. Uh, I wasn't the first one to sign up, but I was the second one. And we've got a big list of men already signed up. We invite you men to, to sign up and be a part of that just so that we as men of the church can get to know each other and, and just start off the new year that way as well. And then our women are starting up their Bible study on Thursday, January the 29th. There's a lot of information there, so please go out, talk to Marsha, go to the women's table, gals. It's a great study. Uh, it's, it's very uh, much already impacted my wife's life as she's, you know, been previewing and gotten ready for it. I know it will impact positively your life, gals, so please uh, go out and check that out as well. A couple other things. I, I, I want to thank Brian for speaking for me last week. Brian does a great job, and, and thank you so much for that. Um, I also, many of you maybe have been uh, to our website recently because of the blog that's been going out on a daily basis, and I just want to say I am humbled by the response already of people from all over the country, and thank you for all of you who are not only reading it every day, but who are sharing it with your family and friends. It's just been an overwhelming response. And part of what's made that all possible is the work that Brady and Jeff Underwood and Brady Johnson have put on that website. And so I'd like you to also join me in giving them also a, a appreciation for that. Uh, Our website looks a little bit different, and we'll continue to do so as we move forward, but I just want to thank them for all the effort. Of course, this is the first Sunday, our video of this service, and this message will go out. We've been doing podcasts for several years, but now starting today, the video of this message will go out as well. And again, all of this is, the, the motivation behind it all is to get the Word of God out to as many people as possible, because we believe in the power of God's word. We believe that God uses his word to change people's lives to the better. And we want to saturate this, this area and this country and this world with the word of God. So thank you for helping us do that and supporting us in that effort as well. I want to invite you this morning to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 as we begin a new series this new year on digging into the essentials of our faith. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to begin in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 in verse 6. 
And the reason I want to talk to us about the essentials of our faith today is because an essential is defined as something that is basic, indispensable, a necessary element. Things that are vitally important. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months. Things that are absolutely essential, vitally important, uh, indispensable to our faith. And many of these uh, passages are found at the end of these New Testament letters. The reason being is the author, as he gets ready to end these letters, is wanting to leave these essentials uh, at the very end in the minds of his readers. He, he wants these to be the things that they're left with, the things that they contemplate, the things that they consider as they leave. Because unlike today, you know, these folks didn't know when they would see these folks again, when they would speak to them, if they would ever see them on this side of heaven again. And so they wanted to make sure that at the very end of their letters, that they really came back to these essentials, if you will. And today, we want to talk about a couple of these essentials. We want to talk about godliness and what does that mean. And we want to talk about contentment. So I just want to read these verses and then I want to get into them this morning. Again, I'm going to ask you just to follow along with me as I begin in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. Now, godliness combined with contentment brings great profit. For we have brought nothing into this world, and so we cannot take a single thing out either. But if we have food and shelter, we will be satisfied with that. Those who long to be rich, however, stumble into temptation and a trap and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. Some people, in reaching for it, have strayed from the faith and stabbed themselves with many pains. Now, in the verses, in the context that runs up to verse 6, I just want to touch on that for a moment. As Paul uh, dives into chapter 6... And at the end of of verse 2, he's encouraging this young pastor, Timothy, that he's been mentoring for quite a while to continue to teach the Word of God and the truth of God. Because he said there's going to be people out there that, that are going to spread false doctrine and false teachings, and they're going to teach things that do not lead to godliness. And what Paul is reminding Timothy and all of us is that Anything that we share, anything that we teach should be leading us to godliness. If not, then we're missing the intent that God had in giving us his truth and his revelation. So godliness is absolutely essential and important to understand. Then what does that mean? But beyond that, Paul is saying this as well. He says, when people object to God's truth, when they reject God's truth and they're not receptive to it, 
They don't literally bow to it and surrender to it. They always raise objections or make excuses of why they're not living according to God's standard in the Bible. Paul says they will begin to develop over time holes in their thinking. Literally, their mind becomes corrosive because they're not willing to take in what's true. What God has revealed is is real And therefore, it begins to corrode and decay their mind. So again, literally, they start having holes in the way they look at things. And so not only are they not leading others to godliness, but then they start making all kinds of of wrong assumptions and and coming to wrong conclusions where Paul at the very end of verse 5 says, and they begin to even teach that godliness is a way of making a profit. In other words, that not only are they not leading people to godliness, but they're leading them to a false kind of godliness where they're equating that if one is godly, then that means they also are accumulating material things and they're materially well off. And Paul is saying right up front to Timothy, we must never come to that conclusion. Now, that doesn't mean that people who have things and people who have material things are ungodly. That's not what Paul's saying. But Paul says you cannot from the Bible look at someone's life and say, well, they're prospering materially, so that must mean they're godly. You can't make that connection, Paul said. That you, you don't find biblical characters. In fact, Jesus himself, the Son of God, he wasn't, you know, wealthy by the world's standards. And so Paul says, do not just automatically equate godliness with ones who are materially well off. So then in verse 6, he says, now godliness with contentment is what brings great profit to our lives. So let's talk for a moment about what it means. What does godliness mean? If all teaching in the church and all learning that we do, and all of our studying and reading the Word of God and all that, if it is to lead to godliness, then we should understand what godliness is all about. The word godliness means to to live in the presence of God, to be aware of living in God's presence at all times, before his face, if you will. It means to be preoccupied with the reality of God. It means to be drawing nearer and closer to God at all times. That's what godliness means. In other words, all instruction in the church, all learning that I do should always be bringing me closer and nearer to God with this result, that the closer we all get to God, the nearer we get to God, then the more accurately we will represent God and who he is to the world. That's why God invites us to be closer and nearer to him. In fact, James even says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when we think about godliness, that's the concept that God has in mind. 
I want all that you do to bring you closer to me. If it's not bringing us closer to God, then there's something wrong with our approach to it or what we're learning and and how we're, we're growing. Because we should be coming more godly. And in that sense, then, we get to know God more and more. And therefore, we can accurately represent Him before the world. We are called to represent God as His people. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are His public representatives. But just like us... Would we like it if someone was representing us to someone else and they hardly knew us? They were, they were somebody that was just a, an acquaintance of us and they really didn't know who we were. We would object to that. We say, wait a minute. If I'm going to have somebody represent me to someone else, if, if I can't be there to represent myself, and I need someone else to represent, I want it to be somebody that really knows me. Somebody who's close to me. Somebody who's near me. Somebody who knows my heart and knows my motives and all of that. That's who we would want to represent us. And that's why God calls us to godliness. Not just to be near and close to God for for the sake of being near and close to God. That certainly benefits us. We get to know who God is in a greater way, and that's great. But God also calls each of us to be a representative and ambassador for Him. And you and I cannot accurately represent who God is to others if we're not continually getting nearer and closer to Him. And can I say this? How amazing is it? How wonderful is it that we have a God who has revealed himself to be one that we can get close and near to. I mean, think about it. Is there people today, human beings, just mere human beings, that you and your mind go, I I wish I knew them better. I I I wish I could spend more time with this person or that person. I think all of us probably have human beings like that. It's like, boy, I wish I could hang out with them a little bit more. And yet many times... You know, either through their position or schedules or whatever. We, we can't seem to connect and maybe ever spend time with certain people. You know, maybe they're too famous and too much of a celebrity or whatever. They, they don't even know who we are. They're not going to spend time with us. And yet God reveals himself to be a God that says, You want to be near? So I'll be near. I'll, I'll be as close... And God is willing for us to get as close and near to Him as we possibly can. There is no prohibition in the Bible ever where God says, Okay, you've gotten close enough. Now, don't come any closer. Don't don't come any nearer. There is no prohibition like that. Because God understands that He way more wants to be near and closer and a part of our lives than most of the time we do back to Him. And that's what godliness is all about. It's about understanding that God wants to be close and near to me. And he looking for that desire in my life. Do I want to be near and closer to him? Do I want to get to know him more and more? This was the aim of the Apostle Paul. 
when he told the Philippians, my aim in life is to know him. The fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection, being conformable to his death. Paul said, that's my aim. To get closer and nearer to God. So as we start out this new year, one essential we've got to look at is, is that the direction my life is going? Is it truly my desire to have godliness in my life defined as the choices and decisions and all that I'm doing brings me nearer and closer to God? I mean, notice later on when he says, uh, those who long to be rich, verse 9. We'll talk about that probably next week. But I want to I stop there with the word long. It speaks about a determination to do something. That we as a human being literally plan with full resolve and intention that really drives everything that we do in life. Paul's saying, do you realize that there are some people that are determined to be well off? to acquire material things, and that everything that they do in life, every choice, every decision, they plan everything with full intention and and resolve to get there. But God and godliness calls us to be people that more than longing to be rich, we long to be with God. That we long more than anything else to spend time with Him and to get closer and nearer to our God. That's an essential of our faith. That's what our faith is all about. Because again, as Paul has already said, if things are not bringing me closer or nearer to God, then why am I doing them? Why are they in my life? And why am I not making choices and decisions in my life that will bring me closer and nearer to God? Because that's really what it's all about. We find this attitude in the book of Psalms. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy and go back to Psalm 42. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 42, the first couple of verses. He says, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Paul says, Timothy, there will be those in your lifetime who long to be rich. They long to be famous. They long to be this. They long to be that. But Paul is saying, and David is saying, that the one heart's desire of a Christian, of one who knows God, should be that that we long for God above everything else. That our, our desire is always to get closer and near to Him. He goes on to say in verse 2, I thirst for God, for the living God. When will I be able to go and appear in God's presence? What an attitude. This describes what godliness is all about. It is that desire. And then if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll notice also... In verse 10, 
that Paul makes reference to some people in reaching for it. I want to talk about that word reaching for a minute. Because it means literally to aspire, to stretch. In other words, Paul again is describing people in this life that they're, they're stretching, they're extending themselves, they're aspiring for certain things, but it's not to get closer and near to God. That's not their priority. That's not their determination. That's not what they long for. And Paul is saying to all of us at the start of a new year that the essential of our faith is godliness. To be preoccupied with the reality of God. To live every moment in the awareness of of the presence of God. Of being closer and near to God. And longing for that and thirsting for Him. So that Not only will we obviously benefit from that closeness and nearness, but so that we in turn then can be sent out by God as his ambassadors and more and more accurately represent who he really is instead of misrepresenting who God is to the world. We become an accurate representation of God to the world. That's what godliness is. And then back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says to this to Timothy. He says, now godliness, and understanding what that is, with contentment brings each individual great profit. What does it mean then to be content? It simply means that we have grown to learn or We've grown to a point where we understand that God is sufficient. And that God is enough for me. That's what it means to be content. And you can see now how these concepts sort of go along with each other. Because if I'm literally longing for God in my life, that that my determination... My plan in life is all revolving around the things that I can do to get nearer and closer to God. Then I understand that the nearer and closer I get to God, the more I realize who He is. And the more I realize He's sufficient. And the more I realize that He is enough, regardless of what my circumstances in life are. God is enough. That's what Biblical contentment is all about. I think a question we need to continually ask ourselves as believers in our own lives is, is God enough for me? And that's a basic essential of my faith. Is God alone enough for me? Because if he's not, and I cannot honestly say that he alone is enough, then I have not grown to that point of contentment. If I need someone or something else other than God, then I haven't grown to that contentment point yet. Knowing and living as if God is enough is what the Bible means by contentment. 
We're going to travel through some scriptures here, but keep your finger in 1 Timothy. We'll come back. I want to begin in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, an Old Testament book, Psalms, Proverbs, and then right after Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And in the context of even what Paul's talking about in 1 Timothy 6, about making the aim and all of my life, the acquiring of material things, physical things. Notice what it says here in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. The one who loves money will never be satisfied or content with money. He who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. Do we not see that principle today? That instead of longing for God and making the aim of our life, even as Christians, to get closer and nearer to God, that when we pursue anything else, there's never satisfaction at the end of that. There's never fulfillment. Because I'm taking myself down a road that will not lead to fulfillment and satisfaction. Only God can fulfill and satisfy our soul. And we'll look for anything and everything else to fill the void that only God and a relationship with Him and getting closer to Him every day can fill. And therefore, we're never satisfied. It doesn't matter how many raises we get and what material things we get. It's always got to be something else. Got to go after something else. Because that road doesn't ever lead to fulfillment and satisfaction. That's why God wants us to grow to a point in our life where as we get nearer and closer to Him, we realize God's enough. God is all I need. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians. And first, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. I'm having a hard time navigating my own Bible this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. Now, don't miss what Paul's teaching here. Paul is saying that if you and I, if the focus of our life is doing God's will... Not doing our will, not doing someone else's will, but accomplishing God's will. That Paul says we can be confident that God will always provide us at all times with what we need to do His will. We will never lack anything in our lives. If we need something to truly accomplish the will that he's called us to be or to do, God will make sure that we get it. 
The only time we will feel like we don't have what we need is when our focus as Christians isn't on doing God's will, but somehow running out my own will in my life or someone else's. Then we might look around and go, I don't have that, and I don't have that, and I lack that, and whatever. And that's because, again, we're running down a road that takes us away from just focusing on God's will. Paul says, and this should encourage us, if I truly just care about doing God's will every day, then I know that every day I wake up, God will make sure that I've got what I need to do His will. And that should be all that I care about. The problem is we get caught up in pursuing so many other things, which is why then we begin to feel deficient. I don't have that and I need that. And And then again, then that runs us down pursuit of other roads in our life that God never intended for us to run down. And we end up actually hurting ourselves, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Then look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple of chapters over from chapter 9. This is the passage where Paul has been allowed to get this thorn in the flesh. And Paul has appealed to God to take it away. And here's what God's response is in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. By the way, all these words are related to the word contentment that Paul uses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is what? Enough. It's sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, so then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may reside in me. My grace, God says, is enough. I'm enough. It doesn't matter what the thorn in the flesh is. It doesn't matter whether you have cancer. It doesn't matter whether you have diabetes. It doesn't matter whether you have multiple sclerosis. God is enough for you. It doesn't matter if you've experienced loss, loss of of someone dear to you, loss of a job, loss of income, loss of reputation. God is enough for us. It doesn't matter if we've been rejected. It doesn't matter if we've been misrepresented. It doesn't matter if we've been misunderstood. God is enough for us. That's what it means to be content. Have we learned to be content? And then travel over with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews. To Hebrews chapter 13. And verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13. And verse 5. The author of Hebrews says, Your conduct must be free from the love of money and you must be content with what you have for God says, I will never leave you and I will never abandon you. God is saying, here's why you should be content. Here's why, because I'm enough. And if I promised you that I will always be with you, then you always have everything that you absolutely need because I'm all you really need, God says. We may think we need other things 
But contentment is learning that I really only need God. So now you can begin to see the picture that Paul is painting here in 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment brings great profit. Because we're not looking at the material things we may accumulate. We're looking at the spiritual riches that we have. I have God in my life. You have God in your life. We have all the sufficiency that is God in our lives. And therefore, there is nothing that he's going to ever ask us in his will that we will not have. And though life can give and take away, as we sang about today, as long as I have God, I have everything. And I know God said, I'll never leave you nor abandon you nor forsake you. So we'll always have God no matter what. And the reason why Paul says this brings great profit to our lives is because that's what it really means to be well off. That's what it really means to thrive. Because this is a term that speaks about living independent of our circumstances. See, we live in a world today, even amongst us as Christians, where my life and my attitude and my perspective and everything is a lot of times based upon my circumstances. If things, is go- if things are going well in my life, man, I'm, I'm thriving, I'm well off. If somehow something takes a turn, I'm in the tank. And God wants us to grow and mature and get to a place in our life where we are totally living independent of our circumstances. That no matter what happens to us, what gives, what takes away, what what situations arise in my life, I've always got God and God is always enough. Therefore, I can handle it because God's going to help me through it. God's going to see me through it. And God is enough. And my focus then is not going to be on reaching and stretching and aspiring for anything other than making the decisions and choices of my life to grow near and closer to God. Then everything else will take care of itself. And I will be in a place of great profit. Because it won't matter what life, what cards I'm dealt in life, good or bad. I'm living independently of my circumstances. Because God has brought me to that place. Through my pursuit of godliness and my growth in contentment. In fact, if you go back to 1 Timothy Chapter 6. Notice at the... In verse 8. Or excuse me, I'll go to verse 7. He says, Do we not remember that we brought nothing into this world? Well, we probably don't, because I don't know about you, but I don't remember the day I was born. But I have lived long enough on this earth that I do know how people leave this earth. And he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, we cannot take a single thing out either. Nobody carries or holds on to anything when they leave this earth. I've done a lot of memorial services and funeral services over the years. And when people die, we don't take anything. We leave it all behind. We have to let go of all those things. 
And so why is it that our primary focus many times is in accumulating things rather than longing for God and thirsting for Him? Again, if God blesses us materially, that's great. Nothing ungodly about that. But that should never be the goal or aim or longing of my heart. The longing of my heart should be knowing you more, God. That should be it. If God blesses us with these things, great. We'll use them to bless others. But that's not going to be the focus. Because I'm not taking anything with me. I'm leaving it all behind. That's why he says this. If we have food and shelter, verse 8, if I have some nourishment every day and I have some kind of covering every day, he says, we will be satisfied with that. Again, that word satisfied means to be enough. To be enough. Because God has become enough in my life. Notice he goes on to say, in verse 9, that those who long to be rich, that's the goal of their life, to acquire more and more and more and more. He says, here's what they do. First of all, he says they stumble, they fall in to temptation. You know what that word means? Tests of integrity. In other words, if the goal of my life is to have more and more material things, then I'm going to put myself in a place where my integrity is going to be tested. Because I'm going to, I'm going to be in places where I'm going to, am I going to fudge things and, and take shortcuts financially and stuff because all I care about is getting ahead? Paul says that's what people like that do to themselves. Then he says they also fall and stumble into traps. The word trap means a net or a web that entangles people. Paul goes on to describe these folks as as producing in their lives many senseless, foolish, thoughtless, and harmful desires. Hurtful, causing injury. That Notice, he goes on to say that plunge people. This is a really descriptive word. It means to cause to sink or to drown. In other words, Paul is saying those whose soul, you know, consuming passion is just to always have more and more of what the world can give us. He said, instead of rising, they start to sink and drown because they're living for things that in the end really aren't going to matter and they can't take with them anyway. He says they plunge people into ruin. The word ruin here means loss. It also means an unraveling. In other words, Paul says you can begin to see their lives unravel. They may be able to keep things together for a while, but when their sole focus is, I've got to do these things in order to get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, he says pretty soon their life begins to unravel. They can't keep things together for long. You and I all know of examples of these very things that Paul is describing here. Maybe our own lives and maybe the lives of others. And then he says destruction. It means waste. It means to be cut off from what could have been. 
Wow, that's a sobering thing. God is saying through Paul that that when people get consumed with with acquiring material things and, and advancing materially rather than longing after God, they cut themselves off from what could have been spiritually in their lives. Think about it. The, the will, the, the life that God had for us that He wanted us to enjoy, we cut ourselves off from that when our pursuit is about material things rather than spiritual things. Paul says. And then he says, for the love of money, covetousness, is the root, the cause, the source of all kinds of evil. And again, he says, some people in aspiring or stretching or reaching for it have even strayed from the faith. that it's more important for some Christians to be more well-off financially and materially and to acquire material possessions than their spiritual health and well-being. And Jesus even said, you can't go after two things that intensely at the same time. You can't love God and money at the same time. You can't because we've only got limited amounts of time and energy every day that we can pour ourselves into. And either God says we are pouring ourselves into knowing Him and longing for Him and getting closer or near to Him or we're pouring our lives into other things that will end down a path of no satisfaction, no fulfillment. What is it, my friend? What is it for us? Not only have they strayed from the faith, notice, self-inflicted wounds. Now, how many of us would literally sit around and take a knife or something and start stabbing ourselves? No normal person, I don't think, would do that. And yet, notice, Paul says spiritually, when our pursuit in our life is more about things than it is about God. Notice Paul says, we stab ourselves. We wound ourselves. This is why God shares his word with us, because it can change our life for the better. And God is saying to us, will we receive and accept what he's telling us, or will we make some kind of excuse or objection to it? Because if we continue to choose to do life our way rather than God's way, God says to us, you're going to keep stabbing yourself. You're going to keep wounding yourself. And then he goes on to say, with many pains. Literally, this word pains means intense emotional distress. Does that not describe people when they make the pursuit of of material things and wealth and money the goal of their life? Do they not put themselves in places where they're always experiencing intense emotional distress over things? Because they're constantly looking at this and that and, you know... Is, is the stock market doing well? And how am I doing financially? And how much money do I have here? And, and instead of f- focusing on God. And God came to not only save us, but to give us abundant life. 
And it is abundant life that is free from intense emotional distress that we put on ourselves when we as even Christians begin to run after things in this life that God never wanted us to run after, never told us to. He says, I've taught you to be content with what you have. To grow to a place where I'm enough for you. If you have these material things, great. But don't make your life about material things. Because the end of that road is never fulfillment and satisfaction. Only those who pursue godliness and contentment truly come to a place of great profit in their lives because they live life totally independent of circumstances. Doesn't matter what life brings. I've got God. God's enough. That's all I need. He is sufficient. Is God truly enough for us? That's a big question as we start this year. It's one of the essentials of our faith. It is vitally important that we grasp what God is saying to us and that we're willing to receive it. And begin to long after God above everything else in my life. Let me say this before we close today. We're getting ready to raise the profile of prayer in our church. And one of the things I want to ask you all to be praying about this coming year, because I think 2015 is going to be a very significant year in our church's history. I'm going to ask my church family to begin to pray about people, Christians now, Christians who know the Lord, making church and the study of God's Word and prayer and fellowship with other Christians more of a priority. Which one of the ways that translates for me is seeing more consistency on Sunday morning and more consistency on Tuesday. Now, I realize some of you, Tuesday night, it's next to impossible for you to physically get to Bible study on Tuesday night. But for some of you, that's just a choice not to be there when you could. And I'm asking us to pray over those people and say, I don't know who you are, but if you could be there, do you not want to seize that opportunity to continue to grow and learn and get closer to God? Because what we do on Sunday, we also do on Tuesday. And can I just share with you, I spend as many hours for my message on Tuesday night as I do on Sunday. It doesn't matter whether there's going to be five people there or sometimes 500 people. Because I've spoke in front of two, I've spoke in front of 10,000 in my life. It doesn't matter. I always prepare the same. And I'm asking that we all would have a growing longing and desire to make more a priority of getting near and closer to God this coming year. Because I believe that any group of people, any Christians 
who truly have that as our priority, look out. Because God is going to bless. Why? Because God is going to bless people who are growing to be more accurately representing Him before the world. God wants to put those kind of Christians up for others to be able to view. Because we get it. We understand. And more and more need to understand. Will you help and support us in this movement that we are attempting to do here, even in Chandler, Arizona, to get more Christians to buy into longing after God more than we long after anything else in our lives? Let's pray. The worship team is coming. We are settling our hearts before God. We are living in His presence. We are before the face of God right now. And He is here in the midst of us in this auditorium. And He is meeting with us. And we are encountering Him. And we want to see You, God, because Jesus has said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we want to see You, God, like never before in our lives this coming year. And I'm asking, God, for you to do a work within all of us and as a church and that we would, we would shed once and for all the pursuit of anything less than you in our lives. That we would echo the words of David in Psalm 42. I long after you, God. I thirst after you. All I care about, God, is being nearer and closer to you more than anything else. So take our lives, God. I give you my life. You are enough. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.